Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. This weekend, Daytona International Speedway will roar to life with the Rolex 24. The 24-hour endurance race signifies the start of several weeks of exciting practice and racing at the birthplace of NASCAR, all leading up to the February 19th running of the Daytona 500. On this week's podcast, I welcome in first-timer and the new sports editor of the Daytona Beach News Journal, Ryan Pritt. Ryan is a lifelong NASCAR fan, and he'll tell you what type of coverage to expect and what his thoughts are as the racing season gets ready to kick into high gear. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida Network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper, and of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Ryan Pritt came to our Florida Sports Network via West Virginia last October. He hasn't had much of a chance to settle in with the NASCAR season running roughly 10 months of the calendar year. He's got a lot on his plate, so let's get him in here, pick his brain, and send him back to the track so he can bring you the best NASCAR coverage in the country. Ryan, welcome to your inaugural visit to the podcast. Feel overwhelmed, man. I should have cracked a bottle of champagne or something. This is a big deal, right? <laughs> Hey, we, you know what? We, we've never heard the cork popped on the show, and we're almost at number 100, so maybe I'll bring you back in two episodes if you go out and buy something for five or six bucks. <laughs> I, I have no problems buying, man. We will do that. <laughs> well, very good. Well, let's start out talking about, of course, this weekend's Rolex 24. Last year, the number 60 Meyer Shank Racing Acura team uh, won the race. They did. Uh, it, it was one of the closest races they've ever had, where each team of four teams led 88 laps apiece. So, uh, d- do you like that team again in this year's race? They've won what is it, three out of the last five or so? Yeah, and if you look at, of course, we have a brand new car this week. They're debuting the uh, the G- the GTPs, which is it has a hybrid element to the engine, which which kicks in when they're on pit road. It's kind of the the end result of a of a few years of research and development from some of the the heavyweights in the car industry um once in 2020 not to get lost in the weeds uh, it was announced that you know you could run the same cars at Le Mans and Daytona for the first time in history so this these are brand new but if if you look at what happened last weekend at the Roar um it's hard to pick against them they they participated in four practices they were the fastest car in all four and um, as we'll get to, Tom Blomquist went out and won the pole in it um, as well in qualifying. So in terms of speed, uh, it would be hard to bet against them. Now, obviously, this race being 24 hours with 61 cars on the track, it's not always about speed. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you if you had to place a bet down, it would be hard not to pick them. 
Well, is this the same exact team of four, Blomquist, uh, Helio Castroneves, Oliver Jarvis, and uh, Simone Pagenaud? Uh, so Colin Braun has replaced Oliver Jarvis. The other three are the same, though. So obviously plenty of experience here, plenty of winning here. Obviously, you know, Castroneves' track record away from the Rolex speaks for himself. You're talking about a guy who's won more Indy 500s than anyone ever. That's... um. It's a pretty big deal. So these guys are talented, and they obviously have a fast rod under them. So, yeah, and I probably butchered Simon's last name, so I have to apologize up front for that. I believe he uh, goes Pagano. There you go. I I am nowhere near French. So, but you know, last year the the team that won they did 761 laps, which I calculated is good for 2,709 miles. That is on a 3.56 mile circuit. Do you think you'd get dizzy? <laughs> well, the good thing is about this one is they've added the infield portion. So there's some right-hand turns as well. So you're not just always going in a circle. But, um, you know, as big as that racetrack is, I think you're okay. Now, if you were to do 2,700 miles at Bristol, say, that that would probably become a bigger problem. Yeah, well, you know, I was likening it in my column to the Cannonball Run where they're going from Connecticut to California, which is just a little bit more than 2,700 miles. I think it was like about 2,850. But, you know, they, they say if you were to try and drive that straight through to be 40-something hours, well, these guys are doing it in 24 hours, which is just crazy when you think about how fast they're going. Yeah, you get up into the 160, 70, 80 range, that tends to cut some time off, I figure. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, you know, uh, tell us, what type of coverage will you be providing? I mean, 24 hours, you're going to be at the track for quite some time. Do you bring a pillow with you? How are you going to handle this one? We'll probably go in shifts. The good thing is we, uh, we have longtime writer here, Ken Willis, with me, who uh, knows a lot more about this than, than I do, having been a veteran of this for a long time now. Um, our, our coverage... You know, of this whole event, we, we have you, man. We've been rolling stuff out since last week. It's coming out every day leading up, of course, to this weekend. We'll have a live updates, obviously, that we'll try to get into at least every hour unless we have something crazy happen like a crash or some weather or something. We can get in and, and do that some more as well. But, yeah, we'll, we'll have the whole the whole thing for you, um, and, it, and I think we're going to share it across Florida. So, if you're if you're out there and you're looking to, to kind of keep up with us, man, and we won't be hard to find, that's for sure. Nope, and like I always tell people, we have 17 news sites that go across the state, so plenty of places to watch it, but especially at news-journalonline.com, the home of the Daytona Beach News Journal. So we're looking forward to seeing all of that, and you know, now, of course, this is kicking off the lead-up you know, lead to the granddaddy of them all, the Daytona 500. It's going to be run February 19th this year. Last year, rookie Austin Sindrick pulled off probably one of the biggest surprise wins in NASCAR history, I'd say. You know, In fact, it was his only win he'd get last season. So is there a surprise winner that you, no one would see coming this year? Is there somebody that you're watching going, hmm, I'm going to keep an eye on that guy? Well, Austin Sindrick, of course, the only NASCAR Cup Series driver in the Rolex this week. So I'm glad you brought him up for a second. That's a, that's a little nugget for everybody. But um I think it's a longtime announcer, Mike Joy, who says every year, if you're in it, you can win it. And that's the special thing about races at Daytona and also Talladega. But if you know, if you have a, f a car in the field, you can win the Daytona 500. And it's been proven over and over again um, to pick a winner here is about impossible. But just for, you know, last year we had Cindric win in his first race as a full time driver. And there's a couple guys 
in this year's race, they're going to do the same thing. Uh, Ty Gibbs and Noah Gregson, who both had some experience last year in part-time roles, uh, but are both in really good cars. Ty Gibbs is, of course, in, is, is in one of his grandfather's cars, uh, the number 18, which was just vacated by Kyle Busch. And uh, Noah Gregson becomes uh, Eric Jones's teammate um, with Jimmy Johnson in the fold now as a part-time owner in that team. So if you're going to learn from somebody, um, Jimmy Johnson and Richard Petty, both involved in that team, those are two pretty good guys. So um, it could definitely, Lightning could definitely uh, strike twice this year. And, and what a story that would be if either one of those guys were to get to the line first. Yeah, it's always cool to see somebody that you don't, just don't see coming. You know, obviously there are going to be some favorites too. So who do you like most in this race? You know, uh, it, it's hard. Um, in terms of plate drivers, it's hard to bet against Denny Hamlin, who's done this, I believe, three times. Um and is right there among the best plate drivers that not only that we have now, but that we've ever had. And, and, you know, a guy like Joey Logano as well, who's coming off of his second series championship, a lot of momentum there. And and he's a really, really, really good plate driver or, or super speedway driver. I should say the plates aren't on him anymore, but um, either one of those guys, those are, those are usually my go-to when we're going to a super speedway. So um, don't be surprised if those two guys are there at the end as well. Absolutely. I love me some Denny Hamlin. He's a feisty guy. I like people that get out there and speak their mind. But, you know, here in Florida, of course, we love our hometown boy, Ross Chastain, the ninth generation watermelon farmer. And he's a friend of the podcast. He's been on a couple of times and the people down in the Fort Myers area where he's from, you know, they just love to see him smash his watermelons on the track. And he finally got to do that a few times last year. Do you like his chances on a track like this? He did really well last year and I believe he did it uh, really well the year before. So how do you like what uh, what he's going to be doing out there this week or, or on the 19th? Yeah, and what a story. I mean, Ross Chastain was was the story last year, um, coming from the years that he had had prior to, to turning into a threat. And then obviously what he pulled off at Martinsville will go down in history as one of the probably one of the, just the flat out coolest things we've ever seen on a racetrack. But um, yeah, he certainly certainly can win. He, he, he picked up a win at Talladega last year, which is the other super speedway on the circuit. So there's no reason he can't win here. Um but it'll be really interesting to see how he and and kind of Trackhouse Racing follows up what they did last year, kind of coming out from nowhere, putting both drivers in the playoffs. Obviously, Daniel Suarez got there with a win at Sonoma, um, and, and then sending Chastain all the way to the finals, where he, you know he, he was one little misstep from Logano from winning the whole thing. So, how do they kind of back up that that? that season last year that kind of came out of nowhere and and how, what does Chastain do for an encore this year that that'll be something to watch yeah absolutely it would be so cool to see him get to raise and smash a watermelon not only uh in honor of his family but in honor of the comedian Gallagher who passed away in November so wouldn't that be justice yeah and a home state win too never hurts right there you go. Well, you know, another big question, obviously, is going to be the next-gen cars. They they weren't exactly loved and adored in their first year, we could say. They, they were blamed for everything from injuries and concussions, fire hazards, wheels coming off, which is never good. So, you know, what's been done to the cars over the offseason to get them better going into year two? You know, that's... um. It. I know there's been a little bit of work with the bumpers. Uh, There's been some talk that one of the main things is they need the car to fold better. You know, a lot of times 
you see a car go through a horrific crash and it's torn to pieces and, and you look at it and think, wow, that's horrible, but actually that's good. That's what you want the car to do is to slowly kind of, you know, take the shock from the impacts away from the driver. And I think that was one of the concerns is that this car doesn't fold per se well enough. But, you know, the totality of that question, I don't think has been completely answered yet. But as a little tease here, I will say um, I do have an interview set up with a certain guy here in a couple weeks that will be much more much more qualified to answer that question than I am. So check back with me in a couple weeks and I should have a much better answer for you. Ooh, look at that tease. Can, can you give us any hints, maybe a little nugget? Uh, we'll just say that, uh, you may see him on TV a lot this year. We'll say that. Oh boy. Well, definitely again, Ryan Pritt, and we got to follow him at news journalonlinecom All right. Well, you know, in, in, in some other news, uh, what are some other changes that we're going to be looking for in NASCAR in 2023, aside from anything they're doing to the car? You know, they're always tweaking things. They're always changing how, you know, this little you know, something for points might be done or something about tracks, racing cars. So is there anything else we should be looking out for this year? No, I think, I think the cool things are really a couple of tracks. So, um, we, we go to Chicago again. Now we, we did not go there last year. It was a, as a 1.5, you know, one and a half mile kind of a track that, you know, we have a few of on the circuit, but this time around we're doing a street race through the streets of Chicago. Um, I think that's going to be, Really fun to see some stock cars in downtown Chicago running around the course for a while. Obviously, that's big and open wheel. Um, this will be, to my knowledge, a first in, in NASCAR. But um, that one, and then I think one of the coolest things is the all-star race going back to North Wilkesboro. So this is a, a speedway that was part of, you know, the early days of NASCAR. It became a staple on the schedule, and then it kind of went by the wayside in the 2000s. And to bring it back after all this time and, and then put the all-star race on it, that's going to be such a cool event. And, um, probably what I'm looking forward to seeing most this year, honestly. Yeah, that's really cool. You know, when I was up in Chicago, this was about in 2002, the blue angels were practicing out by the Navy pier just outside the city. And it was so loud. I can't imagine what it's going to sound like with NASCARs roaring through the streets there. That's going to be really awesome. Yeah, and, and there's some new new faces and new places. I mentioned Kyle Busch earlier. He, he moves over to Richard Childress Racing. Um, former Richard Childress Racing driver uh, Tyler Reddick moves over to 2311, where, he, where Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan are owners. Um, there's always some guys on the move, and, and to see how you know how that affects them, how they respond, how long it takes those teams to get it all together, um, that, that's an, always an interesting piece as well. Obviously those two in particular have as much talent as anybody. So that's going to be fun to watch as well. Absolutely. You know, speaking of drivers, a big piece of news a couple of weeks ago when Kevin Harvick announces, uh, this is going to be his final season as a full-time driver. And, you know, for, for somebody my age, cause I'm only a year or two younger than him, it, it makes me feel old that Kevin Harvick is retiring, but you know, he's a past Daytona 500 winner. He's a NASCAR cup champ. You know, where do you see his legacy in NASCAR, you know, and can you maybe compare him to, to a great driver of the past? You know, it's funny because I, I did just that in a column um, two weeks, last week or two weeks ago. Sorry, all, everything runs together. Um, but, you know, Kevin Harvick, upon doing some research, and I know you're a guy that likes to do a lot of research for columns and so do I. Um, upon some research has probably been even better than people might realize. So I did a column 
obviously Harvick will always be related to Dale Earnhardt because of the circumstances in which he entered the sport back in 01. Obviously, Dale tragically passes away at Daytona, and Kevin is thrust into the car to replace him. Um, I'm not sure you could come up with a tougher set of circumstances for any athlete ever. I mean, if you think about it. And I started to look at both of their careers, and obviously Dale Earnhardt is a seven-time champion, which puts him in the most elite company with Richard Petty and Jimmy Johnson as the only three guys to do that. Um, and he has more wins than than Kevin Harvick, but if you look at other places, it's eerily similar. So they both right now have 428 top 10 finishes exactly. Um, obviously, Harvick has one more year with 36 races. You kind of tend to think he might get over that number. Um, both have won eight crown jewel races, which is the Daytona 500, Coca-Cola 600, Southern 500, and the Brickyard 400. Um, and both have the one Daytona 500 finish. Now, obviously, where Earnhardt has him dwarfed is his titles, seven to one. But I did find out that if if the point system had never changed, if the point system that had been used when Earnhardt was racing had been used until today, Harvick would actually have four, which would put him a little closer. So, you know, you look at those two guys, and it's hard to compare anyone to Dale Sr., but they are two guys that had strong personalities that uh, were not afraid to be outspoken, <laughs> that did things their own way, and weren't afraid to ruffle some feathers on the racetrack. So I think the title of that column was Kevin Harvick will, can never be Dale Earnhardt, but he might be closer than you think. And I think that's about the perfect way to say it. Yeah, that's a fantastic way to put it. I mean, sadly, I remember working the night that the uh, the Dale Earnhardt crash happened. And I remember, you know, I was designing the front page of the paper that I worked at that day, uh, not too far from Daytona, actually, in the villages. And it was just something surreal. And then I do remember, you know, Harvick getting in the car, this young guy, all the pressure in the world. You never want to be the guy that follows the guy. But I got to tell you, if you're going to follow the guy, he did it about as well as anybody. So, you know, we'll still see him in races, but his last full season, he's uh, 47, 48 years old. So, you know, good for him. And, and that's just awesome for Kevin Harvick. Yeah, he's been terrific for the sport. He's one of the guys you like to see that, that those guys that earn the right to speak their mind are, are always important. I think you mentioned Hamlin earlier. He's another one that that does that. And Kyle Busch does too. Now, the thing with Kyle Busch is a lot of people dismiss what he says just because he plays the heel role so well. I always compare him to like a wrestler. I think he just kind of owns that and accepts it and takes pride in it. But for Hamlin and, and Harvick especially, he's kind of become the, the spokesman of the garage for this sport. And in that respect, I think that the sport will miss him as much as any other. Oh, certainly. And, you know, my older brother, he is a huge NASCAR fan. I mean, he, he's as big a fan as you're, you're going to find. And he, he despises uh, Kyle Busch. So whenever I'm at his house or he's at my house and racing's on TV, I, I'm the jerk. And I, I go, Kyle, go, Kyle. And it just drives him crazy. So, yes, I'm the little brother who's driving the big brother crazy, even in our 40s. <laughs> I think I think a guy like Kyle Busch has been extremely important to this sport, if for no other reason, because you always need someone to root against, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's And you're right. It's like watching wrestling. I used to love who didn't love when Rick Rick Flair was a bad guy. And then later in life, he was it didn't matter. Good guy, bad guy. He was Rick Flair. But anyhow, you know, one of the odder stories uh, 
that I was reading recently. You know, we saw that the former child actor turned adult race car driver Frankie Muniz is going to be donning the helmet and fire suit as he embarks on a, a professional racing career now. And you guys had a story about him and, you know, the former Malcolm in the Middle star. And he's one of those guys that no matter how old he gets, he still looks young. So tell us what's going on with Muniz. Yeah, I actually got to sit down with Frankie for 20 or 30 minutes over there, and it was just us, and, and had a long conversation with him, and really cool, man. I mean, his head's in the right place. He's he's sincere about it, and it's not the first time he's tried to, to go this way. I mean, he did some racing in the late 2000s as well, and had an IndyCar ride set up before a, a bad crash at uh, Mid-Ohio left him with a broken back and a, a nearly amputated finger, um, and that kind of put the stall on his career and he took some years off and did the dancing with the stars circuit. But I guess the, the love of racing was always there and it's brought him back. Um, it's, it's a cool story, man. You, you know, you, it's a lot about perspective. You know, the pessimists may look at this and say, Oh, it's a celebrity stunt. All oh, he needs publicity. But, you know, I, I think what's real is, is this is a guy who has the means um, to do this. And I think race fans everywhere sit, sit in circles and talk about, man, if I had money, I would buy a car and I could go out there and I, and you know, he's just doing it. And I don't, I can't hate on him for that. I think it's awesome. Um, it obviously gets some eyeballs on the Arca series, which always helps. That's obviously just below the, the craftsman truck series and the pecking order of, of stock car racing there. And I think it's a perfect place for him to try it. Um, and I'll definitely be interested to see how he does it. You know, having a conversation with him as I did, it's hard not to come away rooting for the guy. It really is. No, I agree with you fully. And, you know, he, uh, it, it, one of the advantages he has, and this isn't certainly a slight on him, is he's a smaller guy. You know, most race car drivers are not five foot ten like Denny Hamlin. Most are five foot six like Jeff Gordon. So you know, he he's a good. You know, he's not a big guy. So that's always a helpful thing in racing. And you know, a lot of people want to get into. You see all these athletes, you see actors, and other people getting into it. But you don't see any of them racing, so that kind of tells you he's got some guts, too, because I've been in a car, I've taken laps in Daytona uh, with a professional driver, and i got to tell you, just a few laps will scare the crap out of you when you hit turn three. So, I mean, here's a guy who was an actor, and now he's doing this. So, you know, he's got some intestinal fortitude, as Gorilla Monsoon used to say. Yeah, and to survive a crash, like I mentioned earlier, that he was in, and not only that, but was the pace car driver... And one of the last people to ever speak to Dale Earnhardt Sr. alive in 2001. And, you know, I, he, I brought that up to him and and he needed a minute to compose himself. I mean, it's still that that raw for NASCAR fans. And, you know, for him to be that way about it, you can tell there's a genuine love and appreciation for the sport. And he, he certainly knows all the risks and talked about them. But, um, you know, it's like he said, he said, when you when you get in your car and leave your driveway, you feel invincible, don't you? Yes. So, yeah, kind of. He said, well, that's how I feel out here. So, and he, he believes you have to feel that way. And I think he's right. So, well, cool. We'll be rooting for him. And, you know, speaking of love of the sport, I can just tell talking to you, you have a true love of the sport. So you are basically, you know, you're in your what fourth month as the Daytona beach news journal sports editor that you came to us in October from West Virginia. So tell us a little bit about your background. How did you start? You know, who is your uh, favorite people to watch growing up your favorite races? And, uh, you know, how did you get into racing interest? 
Man, you know, both sets of my gran- my grandmothers, well, both of my grandmothers were huge, and I mean huge, Dale Earnhardt fans. And I, I think when, you, when you're my age, um, you know, I'm almost not quite to 40 yet. I'm going to say that as long as I can, by the way. Um, you know, that, I think that's a similar experience for everyone. So my generation, you know, looking for my own identity as a young kid, of course, I, I, I came into it right about the time that Jeff Gordon was coming into it. So... As a young kid, I was I was squarely part of the Jeff Gordon Pepsi Cola generation, and um, but yeah, I can remember you know both being at my grandmother's houses. It was a family event. I can remember watching the race where Dale Senior rattled Terry Labonte's cage at Bristol, and that's how I knew what Bristol was. Was was growing up watching that race at a grandmother's house, and um, you know going into her house and seeing diecast cars and you know pictures and hats and. You know, I, Dale Earnhardt, I, I was, we were talking about him earlier with, with Kevin Harvick, and obviously I was comparing Kevin Harvick's on-the-track exploits to Dale Earnhardt Sr., but off the track, I don't know that there'll ever be anyone that's even in the same stratosphere. Um, the way he permeated people's households across the country was unreal, but, I mean, that's you know that's kind of where, where it started for me was seeing number threes everywhere as a youngster, and um and yeah, just never quit watching, man. Loved it from the start, and and we're still here. So, yeah, absolutely. Even though I'm a few years older than you, I can remember my brother being a fan of Dale Earnhardt, even going back to when he was driving the yellow and blue Wrangler car, if you recall that one. Yep, sure did. That one was sitting around the house too, and it, it was just just amazing the nerve that he was able to strike with common folks around the country. And um, yeah, you couldn't, couldn't be anywhere near my family on either side without seeing some threes somewhere. Yeah. Around about 1987 when I was, yeah, I was about 10 years old. I loved the Daryl Waltrip number 17 tide car. I just loved the bright orange car and how it looked. And I always thought that that was a really cool car, but I digress, you know, uh, back to you being the sports editor there in Daytona Beach. That, that's that got to kind of be a dream job then because here you grow up loving NASCAR and now you come to like the eminent newspaper of NASCAR. Well, it, it goes even beyond that, man. So obviously growing up in West Virginia, we, we did a summer vacation every year. Uh, my aunt had a house with a pool in Ormond Beach, Florida, and that's where we went every single year. And um, that started from when the time I was about two years old to the time I graduated high school and went off to college. And, you know, somewhere at, at my at my mom's house, there's one of those seventh grade. Uh, what do you want to do when you grow up like papers that you had to turn in when you were 13? And I think I said I wanted to be a sports writer in Daytona Beach, Florida. So um, funny enough, we're, we're here. Um, and, yeah, it's kind of surreal at times. I mean, I grew up in love with the area and and um, obviously with the sport. And you're right. It, it, it you know, as you know, it, it's always a lot of work. But there are days and things I get to do that I look around and think, you know, is this real life? And I hope it's always that way, because the day you don't feel that that way is kind of the day you want to give it up. Right. Uh, absolutely. That's really cool. You know, we must be kindred spirits because one of the two newspapers, I'm the sports editor over Florida today, I started reading that as a child. I'd go pick it up on the driveway when I was 10 years old to see how the Chicago Cubs did well before the internet existed. And I said, you know, someday I'm going to work for that paper. So that's really cool that, we, you know, we've been able to work hard and you've got that position and you're going to be at the track and that's so cool. So, you know, one of the people you're going to be at the track with, of course, is... 
Ken Willis, who's been with the Daytona Beach News Journal since the Reagan administration started. So uh, <laughs> tell you know, say something nice about Ken because we love to have Ken on the show, and I love to razz him about his knowledge or lack thereof of Cale Yarborough. Boy, you really put me on the st- on the spot having to say something nice about that guy, man. I mean, Lord. Um, and then, by the way, I can't wait to remind him that he started in the Reagan era, and I was I was born in the Reagan era, so that's <laughs> going to be fun as well. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, all jokes aside, Ken's been awesome to work with, man. And um, it's hard not to not to try and be a better writer reading his stuff every day. He, he's as good as it gets when it comes to to column writing and entertaining readers while also informing them. Um, The Daytona beach area has been extremely lucky to have them for as long as they have. And um, it's really, really, really good to get to work beside someone who's that knowledgeable and that talented, because um, like I said, it it can't, you can't help, but try to be better yourself when you, when you get to read him every day. Yeah, absolutely. And when you come on in a couple of weeks, I'll have you and Ken on together. Like I've done the last couple of years, for the uh for the Daytona 500 where I've had two reporters on and Ken I I do some fun trivia with him but the reason I razz him about Cale Yarborough is because I gave him like I you know I had five questions for each person and the first three for Ken were all about Cale Yarborough and he didn't catch on until the fourth question that the answer yet again would be Cale Yarborough so uh, We'll, we'll do an inside joke. We'll talk about it now and see if he actually listens to this. And if not, we're going to get him good. <laughs> well, he's good about attaching the podcast to stuff. So hopefully he'll give it a spin. While I'll, I'll just, I'll tell you what, I'll just tell him he has to listen to it. How about that? <laughs> there you go. Well, we love you, Ken. Shout out to you. So Ryan, it has been an absolute pre- uh, pleasure to have you on today. Oh, tell us where we can follow along on social media. Yeah, so I'm big on Twitter, man. That's that's me. I got to get more well-rounded in my social media portfolio. But for now, it's at rprit, R-P-R-I-T-T on Twitter. And um, that's where you can find the majority of what I've got going on. Go follow him so that will force him to post more stuff on Twitter. I, Again, need, to Ryan, a, I need to put a WV in there just to remind everyone down here that is still a state. So maybe we'll do that too. But if I do, I'll let you know. Yeah, that's near Roanoke, right? Yeah, yeah, right outside of <laughs> Richmond. That's, that's where we live. So, <laughs> All right, very good. Well, Ryan, it's been a pleasure. We will talk to you again soon, and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Tim. Appreciate it. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters. And to quote the aforementioned Cale Yarborough, driving a race is like dancing with a chainsaw. Yikes. We'll take your word for it, Cale. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.